beginning at verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent, who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that, I, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you not want to hear it again? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard, heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, 
If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Well, thank you for reading for us, Nick. Um, if you could keep that scripture passage open, it will allow you to follow along. Um, you can find some space uh, for notes in the bulletin there as well. Um, just to explain, we are continuing our series in John that we were, we were, um, we were in before Christmas. We took a brief break and looked at uh, Luke chapter 1, but uh, we're continuing in John now this week and then next week, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be turning someplace else. But uh, why don't we go to the Lord and ask for his help as we, uh, we seek to understand this uh, amazing story in John chapter 9. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, this amazing account of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, healing a man born blind. As uh, the man himself said, no, no one's ever heard of anything like this happening. And yet uh, you have uh, done this great sign through your son so that we might understand, so that we might see, so that our blind eyes might be opened. And so we pray by your spirit that you would give us eyes to see and uh, hearts to believe that we might worship the Lord Jesus Christ even as this man did. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'll humor me for a moment, I want to start with a simple mental experiment. Uh, if you would, please close your eyes for just a second and imagine an apple. Imagine an apple. In your mind's eye, look at its shiny red skin. Uh, it looks tasty, glimmering in the light. Don't you just want to take a little bite of that apple? Okay, you can open your eyes. Uh, what did you see? Now, many of us um, saw a vivid mental image of an apple. But probably around four or five of us in a room of this size saw absolutely nothing at all. Uh, those uh, people have what is a, a common condition called aphantasia. It's known also as mental blindness. Uh, one author in Time magazine describes the experience in this way. Uh, they say of themselves, I'd always assumed that daydreaming, counting sheep, or picturing myself on a beach were metaphors I couldn't imagine what mental imagery would actually feel like. And now many of you resonate with that. In fact, maybe you didn't even realize this was a thing. Uh, believe it or not, uh, the person sat next to you actually did see something in their minds. And maybe actually if you did see something, the person sat next to you did not see anything at all. Uh, and it turns out it is a bit of a spectrum. Some people see very vivid mental images. And uh, for some people, they see blurry images and other people see absolutely nothing at all. In fact, it would be fun perhaps to discuss over lunch with your family uh, how well do you see mental images. It might be a surprise even to know the variation within your own family. Uh, the point is simply this. There is such a thing as physical blindness, yes, but there is also such a thing as mental blindness. I wonder if you knew that. And according to Jesus, there is another form of blindness as well, uh, spiritual blindness. And compared to the other forms of blindness, this is much more serious. And according to Jesus Christ, this condition affects not 4% of the population, but 100% of the population. In fact, all of us are like the man in verse 1, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, all of us are born blind. Uh, not in some physical or mental sense, but rather uh, we are born spiritually incapacitated. We are incapable in and of ourselves of recognizing the truth about God. We are unable to perceive ultimate reality. But this is why Jesus came. This is, in one sense, what Christmas is all about. As he says in verse 5, he is the light 
of the world. He came to fulfill the prophecy that I read earlier. He came to open the eyes of the blind. He came so that you and I may no longer walk in spiritual darkness. And that is what the miracle of John chapter 9 is intended to show. And now it is a strange miracle, to say the least. Uh, we see Jesus spitting on the ground, rubbing mud in a man's eyes, and then sending him to wash in a pool. We have to wonder what all of this is really about. Uh, well, Jesus tells us what it is about. It is about displaying the mighty works of God. Uh, and what works of God does this display? Well, it demonstrates that Jesus is the answer to our spiritual blindness. In fact, Jesus tells us as much there in verse 39 at the end of the passage. In fact, it's interesting, this passage is kind of bracketed. We've got uh, this encounter with Jesus at the beginning and at the end, and then in the middle there's this sort of trial uh, with this blind man. Uh, but in verse 39, Jesus tells us what this is all about. Uh, and when you look at verse 39, there are really two sides to it. Uh, look at verse 39. Uh, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, Jesus is the light of the world and affects us in, in one of two ways. On the one hand, he is a light that brings sight to those who are blind. On the other, he is a light that blinds those who see. In fact, those are going to be our two main points today. Firstly, Jesus gives sight to the blind. And then secondly, Jesus blinds those who see, or perhaps better, those who think they can see. In our text, we see this play out in, in, in a dramatic way. Uh, Jesus performs this amazing miracle, and then this surprising trial begins to ensue. And it's in that trial that we see both spiritual sight and stark spiritual blindness on display. And so firstly, let's consider how Jesus gives sight to the blind. Uh, Jesus gives sight to the blind, and of course we see him do that in a very literal sense. Uh, this man was born blind. In fact, he, he could not see anything. He couldn't really even see mental images, could he? Because he didn't even know what things looked like. And yet this man now can see. Uh, and at the same time, uh, this miracle, I'd suggest, becomes a dramatic sign of something else. All of the miracles in John's gospel work this way. They are, they are big physical signposts that point to a spiritual reality. Uh, Jesus can heal the physically blind, but Jesus can heal the spiritually blind also. Uh, he is the light of the world, and as the light of the world, he came so that we can see. Uh, and that becomes clear in the events uh, of John chapter 9 as they unfold. In fact, I think this explains some of the more curious aspects of this amazing miracle. Uh, firstly, why mix mud and put mud on this guy's eyes? I mean, it's certainly a strange way to perform a miracle. Uh, well, I suggest it already confirms, it confirms what we've already seen in the Gospel of John. It, it confirms who Jesus Christ is. I mean, Jesus has claimed to be God in the flesh. Just earlier, he said, before Abraham was, I am claiming the name of God for himself. And we have to see, we've seen God playing with mud before. Uh, back in Genesis, chapter 2, when God himself made humanity. He, he formed us from the dust of the earth, and, and then here we find the same creator here on earth, gathering dust, creating new eyes for this man who could never see. And this is why Jesus is able to give sight to a blind man, uh, because he was the one who created our eyes in the first place. Uh, but here is another question. Why does he send this man to wash at a pool? 
It's kind of a strange thing, isn't it? I mean, Jesus could have healed him right there, right then, and often he did. Why this uh, superfluous extra step, we could say? Well, I'd suggest it creates an opportunity. What do I mean by that? Well, as we'll see, it creates an opportunity for Jesus' powerful work to be displayed in another way, both in opening the eyes of this, uh, this man in a physical sense, but also opening his eyes spiritually. I mean, think about it. This man never actually sees Jesus Christ until verse 35. Uh, But between verses 8 through 34, I would argue, he experiences another, even deeper, more amazing miracle. Uh, We see his spiritual eyes begin to be opened. In fact, it's like a friend of mine I once heard share his testimony. Uh, This was a man who had no interest in becoming a Christian at all. Uh, And then he, he had to travel from the West Coast to the East Coast. He took the journey by Greyhound bus. And uh, before he left, a a relative, uh, thinking he might get a bit bored, decided to give him a Bible to read on the journey. And on the trip, he became so bored, he actually decided to read it. And by the time he reached the East Coast, the guy had become a Christian. In fact, he's a pastor today. Well, in the same way, during this much shorter journey back from the pool, back to Jesus Christ, I would suggest this man experiences a similar spiritual transformation. As he explains what happens to his neighbors and then to the Pharisees, more and more, the spiritual scales begin to fall away. Uh, More and more, he comes to understand. In fact, up to this point in the Gospel of John, we've actually had four chapters of spiritual blindness, people rejecting Jesus Christ. and, And this is the amazing thing. By the end of this passage, this blind man seems to be the only one who sees things clearly. And this is what I mean when I say Jesus gives sight to the blind. I mean that he, our great creator, came to earth to heal us spiritually. He came to remove the scale from our eyes. He came so that we could know and see God truly. I mean, look at how it works with this man. The scene really plays out in four parts. Uh, Firstly, on his way back from the pool, he runs into some neighbors. Uh, Look down at verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is someone like him. And amid all of that confusion, the man himself steps in and and kept saying over and over, I am the man. And so they said to him, then then how were your eyes opened? And so he recounts the story, the story with the spit and the mud and, and bathing in the pool. And we have to say his explanation reveals that this man doesn't know very much. Um, At this point, the man who healed him is simply referred to as the man called Jesus. It's hardly a term of intimacy. Uh, When he's asked where Jesus is, he admits, look, I I actually don't know. In other words, when it comes to Christ, he's largely ignorant there. Uh, And so the crowds decide they've got to bring this man to the influential Pharisees, a a popular group of lay uh, lay Jewish leaders at the time. Uh, And the Pharisees begin to interrogate him, verse 15. Uh, And so the Pharisees ask him how he had received his sight. And so he tells the story again in in, in simple terms. He he put mud in my eyes and I washed and now I see. Uh, And the Pharisees take great issue with what happened. We'll get to that in just a few moments. Uh, But for now, notice the development in this man's understanding. Uh, Look at what he concludes about Jesus in verse 17. Uh, Jesus is no longer just the man called Jesus. Look at verse 17. Uh, They said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Uh, And the blind man says that he is a prophet. 
And now at this point, the Jewish leaders are, are totally perplexed. They, they don't really know what to do. Uh, it seems an amazing miracle has taken place, but for them, this is really bad PR. I mean, after all, their opposition to Christ has been mounting over the previous four chapters. And so that they hope to cut this off at the pass. Uh, maybe they hope this is all just made up. Uh, maybe this man was never blind at all, and so they call in the parents as witnesses. And his parents confirm, look, this is our son, and he was indeed born blind. And so the leaders call him back. They want to cross-examine him. And it's at this point the tension really ratchets up, I think. Uh, we see something deeply ironic there in verse 24. Now look at what they say to the man in verse 24. Uh, so for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Uh, the man they're talking about is Jesus, of course. Uh, and now put yourself in this man's shoes. Uh, he's in quite the bind, isn't he? This is a bit of a catch-22 situation. Uh, here are his options. I mean, firstly, he can acknowledge that the miracle has really happened and that, that the man who has healed him comes from God. Or secondly, he can bow to these powerful religious leaders, supposedly giving glory to God by publicly renouncing Jesus as a sinner. I mean, what would you do in this situation? Uh, there's something uh, David and Goliath about this, isn't there? Uh, just this morning, he was a blind beggar, and now he's called to stand up to the intimidating power of these Jewish leaders. In one sense, they hold his life in their hands. Or at the very least, he has, they have the power to ostracize him from, uh, from his family, from the community. But I love this man's response. In fact, there is something quite astonishing about this, isn't there? We see such boldness. I mean, to be sure, there's something simple about his testimony, about what Christ has done. Uh, whether Christ is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, uh, though I was blind, now I see. Uh, but then notice how this man, this blind beggar, seems to turn the tables. In verse 30 and following, it, it's almost as if he lays the smack down on the Pharisees. Firstly, he publicly identifies as a disciple of Christ, doesn't he? Do you want to become disciples also? Uh, but then in verse 30, he challenges them. Uh, look at verse 30. The man answered them, Why, this is an amazing thing that you do not know where this man comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And he gives them a theological lesson. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And so he draws the only possible conclusion that never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the leaders are outraged, probably because their pride is hurt. But they can't deny it. What this man says is true, and so what do they do? Well, they resort to violence. They call him names, and they simply cast him out of the synagogue, probably a description of what happens then, but also uh, the fact that he's put out, that they ostracize him. And we'll come to see the significance of their actions in just a few moments, but, but what do we learn about this man? Well, well, can you see the progress? He starts out speaking of the man called Jesus, uh, and then he moves on. He calls Jesus a prophet, and then we see here that he is a man from God, uh, by this point, he's willing to face public shame of being identified with Jesus Christ. He's referring himself uh, to, uh, to himself as a disciple of Jesus. 
Even when the leaders declare that he and Christ are terrible sinners, he's willing to stand with Jesus. A change has begun to take place in his heart. Just as his physical eyes have been opened, so now he's beginning to recognize Jesus. And so do you see the reason for this delay in how the healing works? The man is now primed and ready for what now takes place in verses 35 through 38. He's ready to see Jesus Christ, not only physically, but with his eyes, but spiritually with eyes of faith. Look down at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast this man out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man is a phrase that Jesus uses to describe himself. We we saw it earlier in in John chapter 5, where Jesus also performed an an amazing miracle. It, It emphasizes Jesus' divine power, an authority. It's a reference back to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, but look at what this man says. He's not quite there yet, we could say. Uh, he answered him, uh, and who is he so that I may believe in him? Uh, and Jesus said to him, you have seen him. You have seen him. Just consider that. Consider how poignant those words are given the context. Uh, Jesus said, you have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. In other words, the savior you need is me. Uh, look at the man's response. It is, it is the response Jesus has always been asking for. It's the response of anyone and everyone who sees things clearly. Uh, the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And this is the result of spiritual sight, to worship Jesus Christ as God. Uh, this is the ultimate proof that this man has experienced the very greatest healing miracle. Uh, And this is the true reason Jesus came. Uh, Not to heal everyone who is physically blind, but rather to heal those who are blind spiritually. He came because apart from him, all of us are spiritually blind. Apart from him, we are incapable of seeing God clearly. Before we encounter him, we are like this man, a man born blind. We are blind beggars. And then Jesus comes through his word by his powerful spirit. And it's like he mixes up a salve and puts it on our eyes. And he, our creator, uh, becomes our redeemer. He gives us new eyes to see the true spiritual reality. He cleanses us. He removes the scales. He helps us to see him clearly. Uh, Jesus gives sight to the blind. And listen, many of you, perhaps most of you, have already experienced this amazing miracle. If you are a Christian here today, it's because Jesus Christ has opened your eyes. He could have done it on a greyhound bus like he did with my friend. He could have done it week by week as you grew up coming to church and hearing his word preached. He could have done it very much like this man in John chapter 9 as you faced challenges to your faith. But the only reason any one of us can see and can understand and can believe and worship Jesus Christ is because God, through Christ, has healed us spiritually. Uh, And when you pause and reflect on that, doesn't that give us great hope? Uh, Many of us, as we've already prayed, have have loved ones, friends and family who who don't yet follow Jesus. Uh, What an encouragement this is to keep praying for them, praying for God to open their eyes, praying with confidence because we know Jesus Christ is able to do so. Uh, Jesus gives sight to the blind. And so even though there is nothing that we can do to convince someone to come to him, He, our almighty creator and savior, has the power to save them. 
And before we move on, we should pause because uh, what I've just said might apply to some of you very directly. Uh, Maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. and, And at this point, you could be more like this man as he starts his journey. You're willing to acknowledge there perhaps was a man called Jesus, just like this man says. But you're certainly not willing to go as far as to believe in him or to worship him. If so, then I'm I'm glad you're here and that you're willing to even consider the claims of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to keep seeking, to keep crying out to God, to ask Jesus Christ to open your eyes, uh, to ask God either to convince you that all of this is just made up, or else ask him to show you in a compelling way that it is true, knowing that Jesus is a God, a Savior who gives sight to those who are blind. And maybe you're even beginning to see today If so, then ask God to help you see more and more clearly that Jesus gives sight to the blind and he can give spiritual sight to you, to every single one of us. Uh, What a huge encouragement that is. Uh, And yet at the same time, it would be wrong to stop there and to miss the sobering, challenging dimension of the passage that is before us. Look at verse 39 again. Remember, there are two sides to what Jesus says. Uh, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. Jesus gives sight to the blind. That's our first point. But but look at how Jesus continues. I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And so secondly, let's consider how Jesus blinds those who see. He blinds those who see. Uh, This is another aspect of what it means that Jesus is the light of the world, although I think this truth may shock you and surprise you. Just as a bright light can be blinding, so too the light of Jesus Christ can actually serve to darken our understanding. A couple of years ago, I needed some laser surgery on on my left eye. I had a tear in my retina back there, and uh, fortunately it happened right before COVID, and I, I caught it in time. Uh, what they decided to do was to use a, a laser to seal up the tab. I think some of you might have had something similar done at some point. Uh, what that included was staring into an incredibly bright light for what felt like an eternity. Uh, and when it was done, the doctor said this. He said, you won't be able to see through that eye, but, but don't worry, that should go away in about 20 minutes. It should go away. Let me tell you, those were 20 anxious minutes for me. It felt like I was perhaps permanently blind in one eye. Uh, And my point is simply this. The bright light of Jesus Christ can be blinding in a similar way. Unfortunately, all too often, that blindness doesn't resolve over time. In fact, it's sobering. It can get worse and worse. And so it is in John chapter 9. That's exactly what we see with these Pharisees. Uh, So far, we've considered things from the perspective of the blind man. Uh, what he encountered isn't just one, but two amazing healing miracles. Uh, Jesus opens his physical eyes. Jesus helps him to see spiritually. And listen, with all of this, the Pharisees have had a front row seat. In verses 13 through 34, they literally hold a trial. They hear from this man's neighbors. They hear from the man himself twice. They have confirmation from his parents. They thoroughly investigate the facts of the case. And by the end of the passage, the evidence seems to be unassailable. 
a miracle has happened, a miracle which, as the man himself says, appears to be unparalleled in human history. Who ever heard of someone healing a man born blind? I mean, this man could never see. His eyes didn't even work. And Jesus basically creates new eyes for this man. Uh, and so what conclusion should we draw from that? Well, we should draw the same conclusion as this man. Jesus must be God. We must bow down and worship him. Uh, but I want you to notice this. Consider the effect all of this has on the religious leaders. Uh, even as the man begins to see, they become more and more blind. Even from the very beginning, they, they hardly have an open mind, do they? Uh, with a miracle uh, standing in front of them, what do they do? Wow, it's amazing. This blind man has been healed. No, they don't say that. Look at verse 16. After the man recounts the story, uh, they seem blind to what has happened and, and more concerned to when it happened instead. At verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. And now I think this actually again goes a long way to explain, uh, explaining why Jesus heals in this particular way. Now why does Jesus mix mud? Why does he ask this man to wash in a pool? Well, I mean, I, I mean, the miracle is quite a lot of work, isn't it? And I think that, is, that work is part of the point. I, I mean, Jesus is being deliberately provocative, isn't he? There he is, kneading at mud. There is this man bathing himself in a pool. And what we need to understand is both of those things would be prohibited by the Pharisees on the Sabbath day. Now, on the one hand, it almost seems like a setup that Jesus is doing all of this work. I mean, by doing this, Jesus is almost creating a stumbling block, a barrier of these Jewish leaders coming to faith. Now, but here is another way to look at it. That by doing it this way, Jesus Christ is giving them an opportunity an opportunity to consider what really matters, what God really cares about, what God is about, what the Sabbath truly means. A chance to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he's doing the Father's work, that he's come to restore all things. We see the same thing back in chapter 5, if you want to look there later. Uh, but what I want to suggest is this. Jesus is presenting the leaders with a test, an opportunity to see Jesus Christ for who he really is. But will they see him or will they be blind? Well, they're blinded by their own self-righteousness, aren't they? And they fail this test. And, it, and really, it only gets worse as the passage continues. As they interview this man's parents and then the man himself, it's clear they've already made their mind up about Jesus. They aren't looking for the truth as they conduct this trial. They've already resolved that Jesus Christ is a threat to them. And what they're looking for more than anything is an opportunity to kill him. And this really is the great irony. In their blindness, in their spiritual sinful blindness, what do they conclude? Well, it's clear from what they say to the man in verse 24. They believe that they are glorifying God by calling Jesus a sinner. And what great tragedy, what, what blindness. Uh, Jesus is the only man who ever lived who never sinned. And Jesus is the one who came as the spotless Lamb of God. He came to give his own perfect, sinless life in order to rescue us, us terrible sinners. This is the blinding effect Christ has on these Pharisees. And sadly, it's, it's the same blinding effect that Jesus Christ has on so many people today. 
It's the effect of Christ on those who believe they do not need him, on people who believe they can already see. In fact, this is the huge irony in chapter 9, isn't it? It is those who can see who turn out to be the blindest. It is those who believe they can see. The self-righteous, self-confident, religious people like these Pharisees. The effect of Jesus Christ on such people is only to increase their darkness so that their blindness becomes deeper and deeper. In fact, the passage closes with some of the most sobering words in the Gospel of John. Overhearing what Jesus says, one of the Pharisees asks him a question. Uh, You've come to give sight to the blind. You've come to blind those who can see. He says, look, Jesus, are we blind? Are you saying that we're blind? And look at how Jesus answers him. Uh, Jesus says to him, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Now, the point is not that the Pharisees do see. Of course, they don't see. The point is that they claim to see. The problem is they do not even see well enough to know that they are truly blind. They don't even see well enough to acknowledge their own need before God. And what a tragedy it would be for any of us to make the same mistake this morning. What a tragedy to perhaps even grow up within the church and just to assume, look, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person, I can see everything clearly. But in doing so to miss your own need, your own need for a great healing miracle from Jesus. But to miss the first point, that Jesus came to give sight to blind people, the spiritually blind, and so therefore to fall prey to the second. And Jesus blinds those who claim to see. He blinds those who claim they do not need him. In fact, if I can close uh, with a bit of an illustration, uh, in light of uh, what Jesus says, we could perhaps think about uh, the light of Christ like this. It's a bit like your parents coming in to get you out of bed in the morning. Uh, They open up your bedroom door and turn on the light, and at that moment, you're faced with a choice. Uh, Do you pull back the covers and get out of bed? Do you get ready for school, have some breakfast, get on your way? Or do you pull the covers over your head, retreat into the cozy comfort of darkness? I don't know what you might do each morning, but I know what Christ calls you to do today. Uh, Through his word, he calls you to come to his light, uh, that your eyes might be opened. And with your eyes opened, come and believe in him and come and worship him. Uh, The one who alone gives sight to the blind. Uh, The one who came to heal, not our, our physical blindness or even our mental blindness, but our spiritual blindness. Anyone who comes to his light will never walk in darkness. Uh, Let's turn to him now, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the great uh, miracle uh, recorded here in John chapter 9. Not just the miracle of a physical sight, as uh, much as that might amaze us, but uh, the fact that Jesus came to heal us spiritually. And Lord, we pray that you might work that same miracle in each of our hearts. Help us to see Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Help us to believe in him. Help us to worship him. Give us spiritual sight. Help us to see clearly today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.